I always debate on this particular time change Sunday if I should talk nice and quiet and just kind of let you come into the room gently or if I should be really loud and, you know, get the energy going and try to pump you up. And so I've done both. I think that's a nice compromise. There you go. We are going to be talking today about time on the day that we kind of shake our, our fist at the clock and say, why did you rob me of an hour? We're going to talk about time today. We're going to talk about moments and the fact that moments matter and the moment we're about to engage in really, really matters. This is not just eight minutes of music to kind of get us in the room and, and get us energized. This is an opportunity to enter very distinctly into the presence of God. And so, and so I wonder today, I wonder, and maybe you'd wonder with me, in what way can I enter into this moment in a way that I do not normally? How can I engage with God in this moment in a way that I do not normally? He is here. He is among us. He is present with us. Let's commit ourselves this morning to engage him fully in this divine moment. Let's stand and sing. for this moment, Lord, this time right now that we can stand before you and stand in your presence, Lord, and be able to just savor it. Lord, we thank you for this time together, and we pray, Lord, that you would uh, open our hearts to be willing to receive what you have for us today, Lord, the truth that you have for us that will change our lives, Lord, and give us the strength and the obedience, Lord, to take your word and change our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please Amen. be seated. So the lights are coming up as you are sitting down, and you have a folder that you were handed on the way in with a card. We'd love for you to take that out. Put your name on it. If you're new with us, fill out as much information as you want. You can take it to the Welcome uh, Center at the end of the service. Have a gift we'd like to give you. And for the rest of you, you get to place that in the basket that we're going to, uh, when we collect the offering toward the end of the service. So have a couple of serving opportunities for you. And part of what we love about serving is, you know, it's not just about getting the job done, but it's amazing how when we serve together, we really get a chance to get connected. We get a chance to get to know each other. So maybe you've been looking for a chance to kind of connect with some other people, and sometimes when our hands and feet are moving, uh, it's a great way to connect. So uh, around the church, we have a lot of spring cleanup to do. We want Easter things to look really nice, so some decorative grasses that need to be trimmed and that sort of thing. If you like doing that, hey, even if you don't like doing that, but you'd like to just come and connect with some other people. There's a box on the back of the card, and it refers to yard cleanup. You can check that off. We'll contact you about what we're going to be doing. We're not going to do it this year. This week, we hear snow is coming, but of course, next week, it'll be back in the 70s, and all will be good. And so uh, 
We'll lay out the times that we'll be doing that. And we do want to offer you too, you know, some of you, you're not able to come at a designated time, but you'd like a project and we could, we could give you a project to go ahead and take care of. And then the other cleanup that comes in April is uh, we partner with uh, the Shanahan Park District to clean a two-mile stretch of the I&M Canal. So we just kind of walk down the canal and pick up cans and bottles and all the junk that we find along the way. And that one's actually been a lot of fun, not just to do as adults, but to have kids along with us uh, picking up and cleaning up, uh, helping out with our community. So that's another uh, checkoff box that you can do. Wanted you to kind of think about something, too. Uh, a lot of us this time of year are receiving these wonderful uh, magic checks in the mail from the government. They've been more than willing to hold on to some of your money all year long. Isn't that great? That nice little savings account they provide for you. And we've been talking about parking expansion. It's one of the things that we're going to be pushing toward, leaning into. And so, you know, maybe that thing's coming. You go, man, I just don't know what to do. They've handed me $25,000. What in the world am I supposed to do with this? Well, you know, hey, we got parking to get done. So you can put parking expansion on your envelope and, and use part of that uh, as a gift toward that. It would be appreciated, and I know a lot of people would just love getting their car out of the grass and on into an actual paved parking lot. So just an idea as we, as we move uh, further into the spring. This is that time of year that we call Lent. Lent is a rhythm of the church year. We have fasting and feasting, fasting and feasting that goes on all along. So we're in one of those fasting seasons as we approach the feast of Easter and the celebration of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. To, to get our mind into that this morning, we're going to be playing a prayer on the screen. And, and these words appear, and as you read them, uh, enter in such a spirit that you are praying them to God, preparing your heart as we then move into receiving the bread of life and just hearing what God has to, has to say us, to us today through his word and through his son. Moments matter. Seconds count. None of us knows how many moments we will have, how many more seconds we have in this life. Last week, we encouraged you as a church family to join with, with Conda and Dave McPhee as they mourned the loss of Conda's brother. And during one of those services, Laura Chaplin was sitting not too far from Conda, only to have her sister of 53 years pass from this life this week. Moments matter, seconds count, and we do not know how many we will have. I want to encourage you, if you have the opportunity this afternoon, to go over to Carlson Funeral Home, which is right next to the old church building that we had, and, and spend some time with Laura uh, expressing your sympathies to her later this afternoon. But the moments that we have matter. They really do. And uh, we've been talking about the way life works, and that life is this series of rhythms, just like the waves, back and forth, ebb and flow. Life and death, day and night, summer, winter, spring, fall. We have this constant ebb and flow going on. And one of the ebbs and flows of life is past and future. Past and future. And somewhere in the middle of past and future is right now, here, today, this moment. And so today as we talk about these rhythms of life and living into them, 
uh, we're going to talk about what it means to live into now, to live into this moment. Now, i got to admit to you, uh, this particular Sunday, if, if they'd have told me in pastor school that this Sunday exists, the day that people have lost an hour of sleep, I don't know, I might have taken on a different job. Because this is, it's fun to try to figure out how do you keep people with you when they've lost an hour of sleep? How do, you, how do you light your hair on fire enough in order to keep them from taking a nap? Well, I, I just decide not to fight it. So if you need some sleep, go ahead, feel free. I wish I had bought a blankie and uh, some cookies and milk because we're going to read a story. All right? If you're not already settled in, let's settle in a little bit more. And this story, hopefully reinforces uh, what we're talking about today. It's a story by Leo Tolstoy, and it's called War and Peace. Not really. That's like uh, 1,269 pages, right? Small print. Leo actually wrote some short stories, and this one's called Three Questions. It once occurred to a certain king that if he always knew the right time to begin everything, if he knew who were the right people to listen to and whom to avoid, and above all, If he also knew what was the most important thing to do, he would never fail at anything he might undertake. And this thought having occurred to him, he had it proclaimed throughout his kingdom that he would give a great reward to anyone who would teach him what was the right time for every action, and who were the most necessary people, and how he might know what was the most important thing to do. And learned men came to the king, but they all answered the question differently. In reply to the first question, some said that to know the right time for every action, one must draw up in advance a table of days, months, and years, and must live strictly according to it. Only thus, they said, could everything be done at its proper time. Others declared that it was impossible to decide beforehand the right time for every action, but that not letting oneself be absorbed in idle pastimes, one should always attend to all that was going on and then do what was most needful. Others again said that however attentive the king might be to what was going on, it is impossible for one man to decide correctly the right time for every action and that he should have a council of wise people who would help him fix the proper time for everything. But then again others said that there were some things that could not wait for a council to convene, but had to be decided at once and had to be undertaken in the moment. In order to decide that, one must know beforehand what is going to happen. And it is only magicians who can know that. Therefore, in order to know the right thing, time to do every action, one must consult magicians, which are not in the Bible. Um, Equally, but in Tolstoy, equally, various answers were given to the second question. Some said, the people the king needed most were his counselors, others the priests, others the doctors, and others warriors were most necessary. To the third question as to what was most important preoccupation, some replied that the most important thing in the world was science. Others said skill in warfare, and others again, religious worship. All the answers being different, the king agreed with none of them and gave the reward to none. But still wishing to find the right answers to his questions, he decided to consult a hermit widely known for his wisdom. The hermit lived in a wood, which he never left, and he received none but common folk. So the king put on simple clothes and before reaching the hermit's cell, dismounted his horse and leaving his bodyguard behind, 
he went on alone. When the king approached, the hermit was digging the ground in front of his hut. Seeing the king, he greeted him and went on digging. The hermit was frail and weak, and each time he stuck his spade into the ground and turned a little earth, he breathed heavily. The king went up to him and said, I've come to you, wise hermit, to ask you three questions. How can I learn to do the right thing at the right time? Who are the people I need most? And to whom should I therefore pay the most attention? And what affairs are most important? What needs my first attention? The hermit listened to the king, but he said nothing. He just spat on his hand and recommenced digging. You are tired, said the king. Let me take the spade and work for you a while. Thanks, thanks, said the hermit. And giving the spade to the king, he sat on the ground. When he had dug two beds, the king stopped and repeated the questions. The hermit gave no answer, but rose, stretched out his hand for the spade, and said, Now rest a while and let me work a bit. But the king did not give him the spade and continued to dig. One hour passed, and then another. The sun began to sink behind the trees, and the king at last struck the spade into the ground and said, I came to you, wise man, for an answer to my questions. If you can give me none, tell me, so I can return home. Here comes someone running, said the hermit. Let's see who it is. The king turned around and saw a bearded man come running out of the wood. The man held his, held his hand pressed against his stomach with blood flowing from under them. When he reached the king, he fell faint to the ground, moaning, moaning feebly. The king and the hermit unfastened the man's clothing. There was a large wound in his stomach. The king washed it as best he could and bandaged it with his handkerchief and with the towel the hermit had. But the blood would not stop flowing, and the king again and again removed the bandage soaked in warm blood, washed it, and rebandaged the wound. When at last the king, the blood ceased flowing, the man revived a bit and asked for something to drink. The king brought him fresh water, and he gave it to him. Meanwhile, the sun had set, and it had become cool. So the king, with the hermit's help, carried the wounded man into the hut and laid him on a bed. Lying on the bed, the man closed his eyes, and he was quiet. But the king was so tired from his walk and all the work that he had done that he crouched down at the threshold and fell asleep. So soundly he slept through that long summer night. When he woke in the morning, it was long before he could remember where he was or who was the strange bearded man lying on the bed, gazing intently at him with shining eyes? Forgive me, said the bearded man in a weak voice, when he saw the king was awake and looking at him. I do not know you. I have nothing to forgive you for, said the king. You do not know me, but I know you. I am that enemy of yours who swore to revenge himself on you because you executed his brother and seized his property. I knew you had gone along to see the hermit and I was resolved to kill you on the way back. But the day passed and you did not return. 
So I came out from my ambush to find you. And I came upon your bodyguard, and they recognized me, and they wounded me. I escaped from them. And I should have bled to death. But you dressed my wounds. I wished to kill you. But you saved my wife. Now, if I live, and if you wish it, I will serve you as your most faithful servant and will bid my son to do the same. Forgive me. Well, the king was very glad to have made peace with his enemy so easily and to have gained him for a friend. And he not only forgave him, but he said he would send his servant and his physician to attend him and promise to restore his property. Having taken leave of the wounded man, the king went out into the porch and looked around for the hermit. Before going, he wished once more to beg an answer to the question that had been put to him. The hermit was outside on his knees sowing seeds in the bed that had been dug the day before. The king approached him and said, For the last time, I beg you, I beg you to answer my questions, wise man. You have already been answered, said the hermit, still crouching, still crouching on thin legs, looking up at the king who stood before him. Answered how? What do you mean? Do you not see? If you had not pitied my weakness yesterday and had not dug those beds for me, but had gone your way, that man would have attacked you and you would have been sorry that you had not stayed with me. So the most important time was when you were digging the beds and I was the most important man and to do good for me was your most important business. Afterward, when the man ran to us, the most important time was when you were attending to him. For if you had not bound up his wounds, he would have died without having made peace with you. So he was the most important man. And what, and what you did for him was your most important business. So remember this. There is only one important time. Now. And, the most, and it is the most important time because it is the only time over which you have any power. The most necessary man is the one with whom you are. For no man knows whether he will ever have dealings with anyone else. And the most important affair is to do him good. Because for that purpose alone was man sent into this life. Now, Jesus never read any Tol Tolstoy, but Jesus created Tolstoy, and he knew everything that was in his mind. And so we should not find it ironic that this is the way Jesus lived. He lived in now. He was very present to the moment. The future and the past mattered, no doubt, but he was very present in the moment. Let's just go ahead and do a little timeline here. Uh, I want you to look at this one on the screen, and we placed you on it. You are here. Now, this is where a 53-year-old person is. If you're 25, you may want to scoot yourself down that way. If you're 75, sorry, but you're probably a little bit more at this end of the line. You are here. For a lot of people, they spend the majority of their life facing this way. They're always looking at the past. They're remembering better times, the good old days. Oh, do you remember when? And it's always about the great times back there. 
Or maybe it's not about great times. Maybe it's about regrets and failures and things that they did wrong. And they look back and they say, I wish I could undo it. I wish I could go back. I wish I could remake that moment. They're always looking to the past. Other people, other people are future people. They're, they've always got their eyes looking ahead. Someday I'm going to graduate. Someday I'm going to get married. Someday I'm going to get a job. Someday I'm going to buy a house. Someday I'm going to move to Texas. It's always, it's always out there, always out there, always facing into the future. And the thing that they miss is what's going on in the middle of all this. In the middle of the future and the past, and the future and the past, and the rhythm of those two things is now. And everything that has happened in the past and everything that will happen in the future is impacted by what we do with our now. Jesus understood that as well as anyone, and he lived into it. He lived into it in a story found in Mark chapter 5, verse 21. It's a beautiful story. By, you, know, you think that you don't live into now because your life is full of distractions. People begging for your attention, little, little anchor biters wanting things, bosses calling you on the phone, the needs that are pressing around you. Listen to Jesus and his day and what his day was like and the distractions that consumed him and how he was able to move beyond the distractions to zero in on now. After Jesus returned across the sea, a large crowd quickly followed him. Boom! Immediately. A gang of people. So he stayed by the sea. One of the leaders of the synagogue, a man named Jairus, came and fell at Jesus' feet, begging him to heal his daughter. So now it's not just a crowd, but it's an influential person wanting a favor. And it's not just a favor. My daughter is dying, and she's only 12 years old. You have the ability to heal people and you hear that a 12-year-old is dying, that tugs at your heart. Please come to my house. Just place your hand on her. I know that if you do that, she will live. And so what does Jesus do? Jesus traveled toward Jairus' house. We're going to go. Let's go see your daughter. In the crowd pressing around Jesus, there was a woman who had suffered continuous bleeding for 12 years. Bleeding that made her ritually unclean and an outcast according to the purity laws. She had suffered greatly. And although she spent all of her money on medical care. You have a chronic disease, you can relate to this lady, right? Although she had spent all of her money on medical care, she had only gotten worse. She had heard of this this miracle man, Jesus. And so she snuck up behind him in the crowd and reached out her hand to touch his cloak. The woman said to herself, even if all I do is touch his clothes, I know I will be healed. As soon as her fingers brushed the cloak, the bleeding stopped. She could feel that she was whole once again. Lots of people were pressing on Jesus in that moment. But he immediately felt her touch. Think about that. All this going on around him, and he notices this one thing. This one moment, this one person, he felt healing power flow out of him. He, touched, he felt the touch immediately. He felt healing power flow out of him. He stopped. Everyone stopped. And he looked around. Jesus said, who just touched my robe? His disciples broke the uneasy silence. Jesus, this crowd is so thick everybody's touching you. Why in the world would you ask who touched me? 
But Jesus waited. He gazed across the crowd to see who had done it. At last, the woman, knowing he was talking about her, pushed forward and dropped to her knees. She was shaking with fear and amazement. The woman spoke up. I touched him. Then she told him the reason why. Jesus listened to her story. Just absorb those words for a minute. Jesus, the Son of God, stopped and listened to the details of her story, her 12-year journey. He listened. Daughter, you are well because you dared to believe. Go in peace. Your suffering is over. Think about this story for a minute. Jesus was not so caught up in the moment that he missed the moment. Isn't that crazy? I mean, he, he, he didn't allow the distractions all around him to draw him away from an absolute divine moment of destiny. He was there. He was present to what was going on. And Jesus calls us to that same kind of presence, to be absolutely present in the moment, to the people around us, to the needs around us, to not miss out on things because of the distractions and because of the noise and everything that's going on about us. What is that keeps us from wanting to live where Jesus lived? What keeps us from wanting to to experience the touch of another person and turn our heads? You see, as we listen to Jesus, he really gives us the formula for living in the moment. And it's easy. I mean, it's not even in Greek. It's right there in English, right? Stop. He stopped. In the moment, he just stopped. Something just happened. It says, he looked He looked around to see who was with him. And then when the story started flowing, he listened. We miss out on these moments because we are unwilling to stop. The distractions are going. He was on his way to do an important thing. He was on his way to go heal a 12-year-old girl. But he was willing to stop in that moment to look around at what was happening and to listen to the story. Why don't we want to do the same thing? What blocks us from living in those moments? Well, certainly one piece is desire. I don't know where you are in your life's journey today. I don't know where you are in your story, but I suspect at least a few people are in a dark place in their story. They're they're in a place in their story that is not enjoyable at all. And you wish that life were a big old VCR and you could hit fast forward and jump ahead two years. Because you know the next two years, with the conditions that are going on right now, are going to be miserable. And the last thing you want to do is live in this moment. You want to move on. You You want to keep it going really quickly. For others of us, truth be told, we don't don't desire to live in the moment for someone else because we like us just a little too much. We're a little too into us. And so to actually lean into someone else's need, to pay attention to someone else's story, to pay attention to someone else's problem, we're not there. We just like us. And we focus on us. Desire can be an issue that draws us away. Another is distractions. I mean, life is full of distractions, no doubt. And the distractions sometimes cause us to miss what's going on all around us. All the demands, all the crying, all the people needing things all the time, and we miss out on some of the most beautiful moments. You have the external distractions, but you also have the self-imposed distractions, like this thing right here. Incredible self-imposed distraction, isn't it? I want you to think for a moment. 
You're in this crowd of people today. You have the chance to encounter people who are created in the image of God, to have a conversation with them, to listen to their story. Why in the world would you put your snoot in the screen instead of looking at these other amazing people who are created in the image of God? God is calling us to stop, to look up, and to listen, to hear what's going on beyond us. Now, let me do a little confession this week. You'll, you'll love this, especially because you're tired. So I do have a tendency to look at this thing while walking. And so I'm walking down the hallway in our house the other day, and I literally, I'm paying attention to this, and I go to turn to go into the room. I wasn't to the room yet. And so all of a sudden, boom, I just run into the wall. And Shelly and, and, and Kim are like, what in the world just happened? I laughed and fessed up. I did it again the next day. I, I gotta, I've got to measure my hallway, but, you know, we, we get so drawn in, so distracted by this thing, by living in the past of looking at what's going on, the future, living somewhere else that we miss out on the moment right in front of us. Watch this. Hopefully it will help reinforce the idea. My Pinterest account is who I wish to be. My Instagram is what I think my life looks like. And my Facebook is who I want others to think I am. My Twitter may be the closest to self-authenticity, if only my tweets weren't either too well thought through or too carelessly posted. Whatever the case may be, only one truth stands. To touch. To speak. To look upon. To experience another's company, a true connection. Cannot be replicated through the dim glare of any device. Bottom line, look up from the screen. You just missed something beautiful. True connection cannot be replicated through the dim glare of any device. Go ahead, tweet it. It's a great line. <laughs> it's a great line. A true connection cannot be replicated through the dim glare of any device. We are far too distracted. And in the process of that distraction, we're missing out on destiny. You see, think about this for a moment. Jesus could have kept walking along the way to Jairus' house and healed that girl, and we'd go, Mark 5 is an amazing chapter. It's an amazing story. But in the process of walking to that house, he feels a touch, he stops, and we hear the story about a woman who was healed of 12 years of absolute misery and suffering, and Jesus was willing to stop and hear her story on the way to this thing that you are creating, that you believe is a destiny, you believe is your future, could it be that God wants you to feel the tug, the touch of someone else? Could it be that God wants you to hear the voice of another human and to realize that that thing you think is destiny out there is actually right here and right now? That God's calling you to something in this moment, and if you don't get your snoot out of your screen... If you, don't, if you don't just push away the distractions for a moment, you're going to miss it. You're going to miss it. 
I love this verse in 1 John chapter 2. I've just lived by this for years, and it's a beautiful verse. It says, now, dear children, continue in him. Other translations say, abide in him, remain in him. Do you see the, the very present tense of that? You can't continue in Jesus in the future. You can't continue in him in the past. You're continuing right now. Continue in him. Abide in him. Remain in him. Live in this moment with Jesus. And then it says what? So that when he does appear, the future is real. We can't ignore the future. When he does appear, we can be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. What what John is saying in this passage is, we live now well knowing that's going to count in the future as two. So, live into this moment. If you do nothing else during these five, uh, five final weeks of Lent, think about what's going on with that screen in your face. Think about what's going on with the distractions all around you and ask yourself the question, am I living now? Am I living for this moment? Does this moment really matter? Do I live as if seconds count? Brian's going to be coming and we're going to move into communion. And we're going to feel our seconds a little differently in communion today. We're going to feel this moment a little differently than we normally do. Uh, We'll take a moment to listen once again to this story. To hear it again. And I I want you to to just put yourself in it. Put yourself in it. Be one of those people pressing up against Jesus. And, and, And when he says, who touched me? Go, I don't know, could have been me. Think, of, think, about, think about what it was like to be there and see him talking to this woman. Absorb that moment. And then we're going to take two minutes to let it settle in, in silence. No, it's not a programming mistake. Two whole minutes of being quiet with Jesus. And the servers are going to come. We're not going to walk to station today. The trays are going to come to you. Receive communion where you're sitting. And after we've been quiet a little bit, even in that, the team will start leading us in a song that focuses on the cross of Christ. Once communion is done, the baskets will come and, and we'll go ahead and collect, collect offering without, without any further comment on that. And then we'll stand for a closing song that again talks about being present, absolutely present with Jesus, present with him in the moment. So, Brian, go ahead and read. After Jesus returned across the sea, a large crowd quickly found him. So he stayed by the sea. One of the leaders of the synagogue, a man named Jairus, came and fell at Jesus' feet, begging him to heal his daughter. Jairus pleaded, My daughter is dying, and she's only 12 years old. Please, come to my house. Just place your hands on her. I know that if you do, she will live. Jesus began traveling with Jairus towards his home. In the crowd pressing around Jesus, There was a woman who had suffered continuous bleeding for 12 years, bleeding that made her ritually unclean and an outcast according to the purity laws. She had suffered greatly, and although she had spent all her money on her medical care, she had only gotten worse. She had heard of this miracle man, Jesus, so she snuck up behind him in the crowd and reached out her hand to touch his cloak. The woman said to herself, Even if all I touch are his clothes, I know I will be healed. As soon as her fingers brushed his cloak, the bleeding stopped. She could feel that she was whole again. Lots of people were pressed against Jesus at that moment, but he immediately felt her touch. He felt healing power flow out of him, 
So he stopped. Everybody stopped. And he looked around. Jesus asked, who just touched my robe? His disciples broke the uneasy silence. Jesus, the the crowd is so thick that everyone is touching you. Why do you ask who touched me? But Jesus waited. His gaze swept across the crowd to see who had done it. At last, the woman, knowing that he was talking about her, pushed forward and dropped to her knees. She was shaking with fear and amazement. The woman spoke up. I touched you. Then she told him the reason why, and Jesus listened to her story. Daughter, you are well because you dared to believe. Go in peace. Your suffering is over. If you today were the one who touched Jesus, what's the story you would tell him? Tell him now. The title of that song says it all for what we've been speaking about today. Ever be. Ever sounds like we're talking about out there. The future, right? Be now. The two smash together. They really do. We need to live in the moment in order to enjoy what's coming. And so, you know, as we're living like Jesus, because that's what we say, right? We want to be more like Jesus. Right now, God is going to give us the opportunity to just do just that. Where the lights are going to come on and we're going to see other humans. And those other humans along the way might touch us. And as they do, we need to stop and recognize the fact that we have had a human encounter. We need to look and see who it is and listen to their story. Receive them as Christ receives us. Don't just think, you know, Christianity isn't all about heaven someday. It's about here now. God wants to be fully present with people now. And so, as we live into this week, Snoots out of the screen, eyes up, paying attention to the people around us, living every moment with them. And before we leave, hear these words. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him. And we are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy, for we are receiving the end result of our faith, which is the salvation of our souls. Enjoy this week with your God and with others. We'll see you. There you are once again, hanging on a prayer, broken heart at your end, like life is so unfair, and you're looking for the answers that are just not there, but oh.